today is this. Do you, do you live life depending on your ears or your eyes? Do you live life depending on your ears or your eyes? Now, there, there are two very different ways of living. Walter Mischel uh, published a book called The Marshmallow Test. And it was the fruit of his research as a psychologist, which began uh, in Stanford University in the 1960s. It continued onward from there. Essentially, a young child was left in in a room, uh, sat in front of a marshmallow. And the researcher uh, said to the child, if that marshmallow is there when I come back, you'll get to eat that marshmallow and I'll give you a second marshmallow that you can eat. And then they left the child in the room with the marshmallow for about 15 minutes. They did this with about 600 children. Could they delay gratification in order to gain more of a reward? That was the question. And guess what? About a third of the children delayed gratification, showed enough self-control long enough to get the rewards. And then they did a kind of follow-up 10-year and 20-year study of these children. Uh, And it turned out that the choices that they made back then were a very significant indicator of various things in the future. The children who showed that self-control at the age of, you know, three, four, five, uh, were also those who went to gain far higher test scores in their final school exams. And the children who struggled to wait and just gobbled up the marshmallow had far higher obesity rates in later life. Another observation was that children who were raised by absent parents were less likely to wait because they were less, they didn't know where they could trust this uh, adult researcher. They hadn't been able to trust other adults and so they just, quick as they went out the door, they put it in their mouth. And as as a church pastor, I think this study is fascinating. Because essentially it's this question, are they going to live by their ears or their eyes? Michel um, observed that some would actually cover their eyes with their hands or turn around uh, so they couldn't see the tray, while others began to stroke the marshmallow. smell the marshmallow well you can probably guess which were the children who succumbed and which ones received the reward and which ones that did not now what about us are we people who live by sight or are we those who live by faith in the promises of God you know is life only the material stuff that we can see Or is there an unseen creator who created all this stuff, who's communicated to us supremely through his son, Jesus? Will we listen to him? Are we going to live life trusting this Jesus and and all that God has promised to have achieved through Jesus for us? Or are we just going to operate literally with our eyeballs? You know, Jesus came and uh, revealed supremely to us that God loves us. Amazing. Amazing that he loves us because we are rebellious sinners. We keep rejecting him. 
It's extraordinary that he loves us, but Jesus revealed that he loves us. He also revealed that God is a God who is angry at our sin, and he must punish all sin and injustice. This is a God who hates injustice. And um, Jesus taught that he had come in fulfillment to the the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament part of our Bible. He come in fulfillment of these scriptures in order to rescue people from God's just anger. And he did that by willingly going to die upon a cross, taking the punishment that we deserved, taking the punishment that sinners deserved in our place so that all who trust him will be completely forgiven will have complete access into God's very presence, will be inheritors with Christ of all the blessings that God promises of his kingdom, which will go on forever in a new heavens and a new earth. Incredible, great promises that the creator God has made to us through his son Jesus. And the question today is, are we going to be people who live through our ears, believing the words of God, or are we going to just merely live with our eyeballs? Now that choice is made all the more significant when trusting Jesus brings us into conflict and opposition. Opposition perhaps with our family who aren't happy that we've become Christians or, or opposition from our friends or opposition from society. That certainly was the context in the first century that... Uh, of the people who read this letter originally. They, they had faced threats for being, becoming Christians. They had faced imprisonment. They'd faced the confiscation of their property for trusting Jesus. And the heat was continuing. And they were tempted to go back to their old way of life in Judaism. Now, in the Roman Empire, um, the Judaism was a tolerated religion. The Roman Empire accepted it as a legitimate way you could worship. And so the Roman authorities would not persecute you for being Jewish. But in the first century, uh, Rome also required its citizens to proclaim that Caesar is Lord. They even had temples where you had to, uh, you had to go and show your submission by proclaiming that Caesar is Lord. And then when this new group turned up, teaching that no, only Jesus is Lord, they were seen as very subversive, very dangerous. And so there were very real temptations on these people to lose their faith in Jesus. It was getting hard. Much easier to reject his claim to be the Messiah <clears throat> and turn back to the synagogue, back to their Jewish communities where life would be easier and safer. Now, that might not be the way we uh, are able to get back into safety. Maybe we haven't come from a Jewish background. But the question today is the same sort of challenge. Will we live by faith in Jesus when people around us in Edinburgh think at best our views are weird? And that's at best. And actually, some consider what we believe and, and the ethics that we say the Bible teaches as even hateful and shameful and uh, suggest that uh, no right-thinking person should uh, disagree with the supposedly enlightened secular British values about sexuality and gender. 
and the Asher's Bakery case that was heard by the Supreme Court this last week illustrates this very point. It's getting more uncomfortable, isn't it? To dissent. And so we need this great chapter of Hebrews chapter 11, which illustrates the sort of faith that is commended by God uh, from examples in the Old Testament. Uh, We've already got all the way up to verse 22, and this is the kind of final one in the series. I've realized that we could spend a lot more on this chapter. But just a, a couple of main points I want us to hit on this morning. The persevering faith that pleases God is a faith that overcomes fear. Did you see that in verse 23? By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And then look at verse 27. By faith, he, meaning Moses, left Egypt. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. Do you see both the parents and Moses showed their faith by not fearing to defy the king? Now, let's just think about that. I mean, last week we saw how Christians are actually uh, commanded to submit to the governing authorities from Romans 13. But here in in, in this life of faith, it is commended uh, those who defied those authorities. So how do those two things fit together? Well, you can read about it in the, in the book of Exodus, these, these, these great events. But the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh at the time, the king of Egypt, uh, fearing the numbers of the growing, uh, rapidly growing slave people, the Hebrew people, he ordered that all the Hebrew uh, male babies should be killed by being thrown into the Nile. So here's the command. It's from the government. It's from the authorities quite a thing to go against a despotic king with power over life and death. But the parents of Moses lived by faith in God and his promises. And they knew it was better to fear God than fear this king. They knew it was better to obey God and not do something that was morally wrong. Plus, there was something particular about this baby. They they see in verse 23 that he was no ordinary child. He was a beautiful child. I guess every parent looks at their kid and thinks they're beautiful. Uh, But there was something about this child, and it was clear to them that they could not destroy this boy. And so by faith, they were not afraid to defy a wicked command of a king. And what faith they had. Look how it turned out. Quite successful, really. They did put Moses into the Nile but they put him in a floating protective basket and they wisely leave an older child to keep an eye on that basket and they wisely floated it out just at about the time when Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe. Pretty canny people. And Pharaoh's daughter hears the cries, opens the basket, sees that this indeed is a very beautiful baby and adopts this child into the family and get this, finds the, the, the sister and says, you know any Hebrew Mothers that could help me raise this child. And she says, oh, I know just the one. And uh, the mother gets paid to take care of this kid. Now, that's a winner, isn't it? That's living by faith. Uh, That's adventurous faith. And they, they certainly didn't waste their time with this child as he grew up. They clearly must have taught him about the true and living God. They must have reminded him of the great promises that God had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob so that when he grew up into manhood, 
he chose also to live by faith in God and be unafraid of the anger of the Pharaoh who'd become his adopted grandfather, as it were. He was unafraid to defy that king. Just think about his faith. By faith, he left Egypt. Now just think about that. By faith, he left Egypt. Now what what did he have at that point? He had status. He had privilege. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was living it up at the palace. He had all the wealth and the comfort that Pharaoh could offer. And we're kind of blown away as you see the the tomb of Tutankhamun, how amazing it was. Well, that was his. He lived in it. He had all the pleasures and uh, indulgences uh, that were possible for a playboy prince. It was there before his very eyes. And yet by faith, he chose to live by his ears, to believe God's promises, which he'd heard from his parents. What did he have to see uh, that fitted with those promises? Not a lot to see, was there? What was before him was a slave people. These aren't the winners. These are suffering and oppressed, marginalized, cruelly treated. And yet, he showed his faith by choosing to be identified with the people of God. Even though it meant renouncing the palace for the wilderness, uh, for passing up the pleasures of the palace to experience being ill-treated, Uh, along with the people of God. Now, that's the sort of faith that pleases God. And we know what incredible things took place to vindicate such faith, but he had nothing to go on at the beginning but the words of God. And why did he make this choice? It's a big decision, isn't it? I don't know what you do before big decisions. I think a lot of people sit down and with a sheet of paper, they write out the pros and cons. They weigh it up, and that's what he does. Like an accountant, he weighs up uh, both sides. By faith, he left Egypt because basically he calculated that by doing so, he would get a better reward. what, What has Egypt got to offer? Well, verse 26, the treasures of Egypt. Verse 25, the pleasures of sin in Egypt. Ample opportunity to satisfy all sorts of human desires there in the palace. And it's worth noting here that sin does indeed have its pleasures. That's why we're so tempted by it, isn't it? There is, of course, pleasure to be had, to be experienced in sex outside of marriage, whether that's adultery or fornication or homosexual sex. Uh, There's pleasure in losing self-control through drugs or alcohol. Uh, There's pleasure in gossip. There's pleasure in getting angry and intimidating people. There's pleasure in being greedy. There's pleasure in trampling over other people to to work our way up to the top of the tree and gain power. But Moses saw that the pleasures of sin are only, do you see it there? They're fleeting. The fleeting pleasures of sin. The pleasure is so temporary. The buzz does not last very long. And then so quickly it is followed by regret, 
self-loathing, and all sorts of painful repercussions and consequences. And that was on one side of the ledger, and then he looked at the other side of the ledger. What would he gain by by leaving? Well, uh, in the present, he would be ill-treated with the people of God, and he would experience the shame and disgrace of being identified with Christ. This people of the promise that would lead forward to Jesus, he was identifying with them. But being linked to that, he would be linked to all that God promised for his people and all the eternal treasures of being part of Christ's kingdom. And so, he looked at the two sides and worked out that disgrace with Christ was more valuable than the treasures and the fleeting pleasures of Egypt. And that's quite a thing to honestly look at those two sides of the ledger. Do you know what? Each one of us has to do that. Only you can live your life for yourself. And you need to work out, what are you going to do? Are you going to live with what you see, or are you going to live by what you hear? And the promises of God, and the promises in the gospel, and uh, which way are you going to go with your life? I I think it's great that uh, many of you have begun that journey of faith. But you know what? This challenge keeps coming back to us. Egypt keeps pulling us back. Have you noticed that? It's not such a decisive decision that it never gets tempted to go back the way. Pastor John Piper uh, has helped us all in, in the way he's taught about Christian hedonism. It's kind of a really outrageous phrase, Christian hedonism, and he does a lot to explain it. But you see, the Christian does not negate uh, our desire for pleasure and delight, for joy and, and those such things. But we know that actually it is wiser to wait for greater joys and eternal delights that come by living by faith in Jesus Christ rather than by sight. We turn away from the marshmallow to wait for the eternal banquet. That's the Christian, isn't it? Now, Moses saw things by faith through the promises of God that he heard through his ears. That's the striking thing of verse 27. What did he see? He saw the invisible God. That is to say, he saw by faith through the promises of God things he'd heard through his ears and he fixed his eyes, as it were, on the things he could not see. The God who is there that I cannot see and the future that is ahead through Christ that will indeed come. And he, in a sense, made this difficult decision. Actually, it wasn't that difficult because he knew that this invisible God who created everything is far greater. He's more awesome, more to be feared and honored than a puny, raging, little earthly king. And that's how he persevered through all the difficulties and challenges he faced, uh, in all the choices he had to make, because he had faith that overcame his fears. No doubt, each of these people in these stories had fear in different ways, and yet they had faith in a God that overcame those fears. And so, Christian teenagers, can I say to you, will you overcome your fear of 
facing the disapproval of your non-Christian friends? Will you overcome that fear of their disapproval of the Christian faith? Will you show yourself to be unashamed, to show your faith in Christ, to identify yourself as one of those Christians at school? I'm sure lots of people in your school laugh at the Scripture Union group. And some of the people there probably aren't the coolest people in school. But actually, will you be unafraid of their approval and be willing to identify yourself with the people of God and show that you are identifying with Christ? Will you live by faith? Christian students. It's funny how you actually tend to sit together. There's groups of people. Isn't that funny? It is the way that. But Christian students, can you overcome fear of missing out? on all the fleeting pleasures of sin. In order to be identified in your life as a Christian who's following Christ, can you, will you, are you unafraid of their disapproval? Are you unafraid to, to pass up on the, the supposedly great fun that everybody's having in the fleeting pleasures of sin? Will you identify yourself with a Christian union? Will you identify yourself as a Christian in Missions Week? Will you live by faith and not by sight? And professional Christian rising up uh, through the ranks of your business or your career, will you overcome your fear of desiring the acceptance and the approval of people who are above you who can offer you uh, the steps forward, the keys to the upper floors? Are you, will you overcome your fear of their disapproval when they find out that when you're, you're one of, not when he, just one of those Christians, but one of those born-again, evangelical, fundamentalist guys who believes the Bible. Will you stay a part of this church? I don't know, one day we might make the press as one of those churches that's hateful and bigoted because of what we teach about biblical ethics. Now, you know, we love people. Well, you know, if Charlotte Chapel hits the news and we get this thing thrown at us, will you still identify by being a member with us? Of course, it would be much easier to go to other churches where they're just much hazier about certain biblical things and you can just sort of be roughly religious and talk about God in very polite terms whenever we talk about Jesus. Will we live by faith? In the promises of God, will we identify with the people of God even when it's challenging, even when it's tough? People don't mind religion as long as you keep it to yourself, as long as you don't take it seriously. As long as you don't act as if it's true for them as well. As long as you don't talk of a God who is angry at sin, of a day of judgment that we should worry about. If you don't speak of needing to come to Jesus and trust his bloody sacrifice on a cross to be forgiven. If you don't talk about the need for holiness, and for living for God. But you know, Moses did believe in that God. And he was more worried about an angry God than he was about an angry king. And so when God told him that the final judgment uh, of, of, of the plagues would come upon Egypt and, and the destroyer would pass over Egypt and the firstborn sons of every household would die unless they were to take an unblemished lamb 
and sacrifice that lamb and paint blood over the door of their, of their house. And, and if they did that, their sons would be spared. They'd be redeemed. They would live because the, the, this animal would be, as it were, a substitute in their place. Now, what an odd thing. Talking about the judgment of God. What a joke. Who believes in that? It's coming, and this is what you need to do. Come unto the blood. Who believes that? Well, will you believe that? Will you come unto the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? His atoning sacrifice in your place to save you from the coming judgment of God. Will you live by your ears or your eyes? Now Moses, by faith, believed that he kept the Passover and the application of blood, as it says here. And those who also believed it that night, uh, they, they did experience deliverance. Now there's so much more in this section, I'd love to get into it, but we really don't have the time. So let me move to my second point. Not only does faith overcome fear, but faith takes risks. And we'll see this in verses 32 to 38. You see, to understand the life of faith, we need this beautiful balance uh, that we find in these verses. The opening verse of Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. And so by nature, faith always takes risks. And the beautiful balance in these verses is that sometimes those risks result in triumphs. Other times, such faith results in tears. Now, we have more people here from the book of Judges right through to the end of the Old Testament. And the result of living by faith for them, uh, some of them was of great victory. Think about Gideon. Uh, by faith, he saw the defeat of the combined armies of the Midianites and the Amalekites with uh, a group that he led of 300 people. God kept whittling it down. No, you've got too many people. What? Barak. Think about Barak. By faith, he saw the defeat of Sisera's armies. Now, in their day, Sisera's armies had the equivalent of tanks. They had 900 iron chariots. Well, the people of God didn't have that. And yet, Barak, by faith, defeated them. Samson on a number of occasions, defeated the, um, the enemies of God's people. And in one place, he took out a thousand men armed only with the jawbone of a donkey. And I kind of think of him like one of those corny James Bond movies uh, where after Bond just blows up several people, he does a sort of corny one uh, aside. And that's what Samson does. Uh, at the end, he says, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. By faith, that's what he did. Jephthah. He ended 18 years of occupation and oppression by defeating the Ammonites and their strongholds. And of course, you get to David. Well, who, what boy doesn't love the story of David who took on Goliath by faith, this giant? Now, why did he do such a rash, rash thing? Well, let me quote the words of what he said. David said to the Philistine Goliath, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine armies to the birds and to the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. David, Titchy David... 
saying this to Goliath, how do you say such things? Because you live by your ears. You live by faith in the promises of God. You, you see the invisible God and he's greater than the foes in front of you. Now I think what's really encouraging about this list of names is that all these people commended by their faith were also people of great flaws. This is encouraging, isn't it? Gideon was frightened. What do you remember about Gideon? His fleece. What was that about? He was a scaredy cat. Barak, very hesitant. I'll go if you go with me, Deborah. I, th- I kind of see Deborah as kind of like a Margaret Thatcher. And uh, Barak, a bit one of those wets in the cabinet. And, you know, she had to kick him up the backside to get moving. He was hesitant. Samson, oh my goodness. What obvious moral flaws. Jephthah made a terrible rash promise. And David showed himself to be an adulterer. Now, far from perfect leaders or individuals, and yet by faith in God saw great triumphs. That's the point. So he can use flawed people like us if we believe his his word. And remember, all these people took great risks as they stepped forward in faith. They they did not know what the outcome would be. I mean, we we, we know the stories. We've read them multiple times. Remember, at the point that they stepped forward, they don't know what's going to happen. They're taking massive risks. There's David taking off Saul's armor. Oh, no, this isn't going to work. I'll take him on with a few stones. Wow. Verse 35 alludes to Daniel's friends and fellow captives in Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who refused to bow down before the golden statue of the king. All the civil servants were there. Can you imagine it? Everyone in your office... And the boss has put a golden statue of himself and says, if you want to keep uh, living, when the trumpets blast, you bow down. And the trumpets blast, and everyone in the office knows it's in the dirt. Except for these young men. Left standing. And the king observes this. And is displeased, and he gives them one more chance. And says, look, there's a fiery furnace here if you don't do what I say. And this is what they said. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Faith takes risks, doesn't it? Don't know the outcome. And this balance of scripture is really needed for us because some saw great victories. I mean, they, in, in the terms that are there, that they, um, they quenched the fury of the flames. They walked back out of the furnace completely fine. God miraculously saved them. But you know what? God doesn't miraculously save everybody. Because after the list of victories is this next list of people who live by faith in God and endure 
terrible rejection. The outcome for them, at least in this life, was tears. Look at verse 35 again, the second half. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so they might, make, they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. <coughs> the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and the mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. There are churches and preachers out there who will only preach the first bit. Faith and triumph. Don't listen to them. They're false shepherds. They're only telling you a partial message. Other people had faith and were tortured. Became homeless, lost their homes. On the outskirts, on the fringes, suffered. Destitute. Sometimes the life of faith will lead to great rejection. Are we prepared for that? We've had a really good spell in the UK where uh, living by faith hasn't really cost us too much, but that's been an abnormal period in our history. And I think it will come to my children's generation where it's going to get quite hard. But look at thirdly how this chapter closes. Verse 39 these were all commended by their faith. We need to see that, don't we? If we only have testimonies from people who are winners and achievers and get the awards and see great success, we're failing people. We need the people to say up there, yeah, yeah, life's really tough and I've suffered a lot, but I'm trusting Jesus. In some ways, that is even more impressive faith, is it not? That continues to live without recourse to the eyes but continues to live by the ears and live by the promises of God and here's the amazing thing as we wrap up this chapter uh, verse 39 and 40 the, the writer says look actually they were all commended for their faith and in a sense that all, their, all of their faith was unfinished faith it was incomplete faith you know what they had to go on was um, partial and incomplete. None of them ultimately received the big promise that God had made. And what was the big promise? That he would come and sort out the sin problem through his king, Jesus. So why would these Hebrew Christians want to go back to what was partial and incomplete faith uh, of returning back to the synagogue as if Jesus hadn't come? When in fact, if they were able to go back in a time machine and chat to any of these people, all these people saying, well, you know, we know that we hadn't seen it. We're waiting for what you have seen happen, Jesus. He is the full and complete and perfection of God's plans. 
And so, my friends, what great riches are ours? We, we, we don't have a partial and incomplete faith. We, we haven't just got the promises of the Old Testament. We've seen the fulfillment in Christ. We've seen all that God has accomplished in Christ. Uh, you know, if you trust Jesus today, you will be completely forgiven of your sins. You will have total access to the Father. You will be a, an inheritor of Christ's kingdom that will go on forever in the new heavens and the new earth. What we have in Christ is absolutely extraordinary. You know what? That richer knowledge of what we have in Christ should lead us to lesser confidence or greater confidence in God. Greater confidence in God. Think about what they achieved with, with the, the, the partial fulfillments they saw, the great things that were accomplished. Look at what they endured the terrible sufferings and afflictions with the partial promises that they saw fulfilled. And look at what we have with Christ. Will we take risks? Will we overcome our fears? Will we identify with Christ in our generation? Will we identify with Christ's people? Will we sacrificially risk things? to see the cause of Christ and his gospel advance in this world. We may see great days. We may see suffering and difficulty. You might see me in prison, I don't know. But we certainly don't want to let go of Christ. Are we going to live by our ears? I pray so.